What's up, ASM? Uh, super glad you guys are able to join us uh, in our online platform. Uh, we are in the middle of our series called James Faith That Works. I want to remind you, it means it is a faith that does indeed work. And it's also this double meaning. It's a faith that must be put to work. This week is a little bit weird. Today, while I'm recording, is election day. Uh, we are in the middle of James, like I said, and James chapter three that we'll be looking at today actually speaks to some pretty specific things that I think we're all kind of dealing with in our world. Being that it's election day, election week, depending on when you watch this, you're gonna watch it after the election has taken place. Either uh, President Trump is still our president or Joe Biden is the new president. And so there's a feeling, I think, of unrest. There's a feeling uh, that we lack a sense of peace right now, just as a country, as a people. And our big idea this morning, or this afternoon or evening, whenever you happen to be watching this, is that followers of Jesus practice godly, peace-producing wisdom. Do you feel a sense of peace right now in the U.S., in our country, in our world? How about, let's take it down a notch. Do you feel a sense of peace in your home? Do you feel a sense of peace in your neighborhood? Do you feel a sense of peace at church? Do you feel a sense of peace when it comes to your small group, ASM, your friend group? See, many of us have been glued for weeks to uh, news outlets or some social media outlet so we can stay up to date on what's going on and who said what about who and when. And maybe in your own family, or extended family, or friend group, the political climate has just reached this fever pitch where people are uh, abandoning each other and they're, they're, they're blocking each other or unfriending each other on social media. I mean, it's just, it seems outrageous. There's this sense that peace is absent and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's a lot of wisdom that is absent. And I know that if you're a student and you're watching this, unless you're 18 right now, um, you can't vote. But I also know that you care about what's going on in our country. It's evidenced by the fact that you guys post about it a lot. You post about things you care about. You post about things that are, are near and dear to your heart when it comes to uh, the political climate or things that are influenced by our politicians on your Instagram accounts. And, and I want to say, look, if you care about what's going on, that's good. You should. Because everyday followers of Jesus... Uh, our everyday followers, and here's what that means, that our followership of Jesus should permeate every aspect of our daily lives. It should permeate what we think politically, what we think about social justice. It should permeate what we think about how to interact with other people on a daily basis and the way that we treat others and other image bearers of, of the Creator. Now, I'm going to make uh, what I think is, some, for some people, a crazy statement. These two statements, depending on where you fall, will seem crazy. And for others, they just seem like, well, okay, those are just statements. But here they go. There are well-meaning people who love God, who love Jesus and love others, that today, I'm recording this on Tuesday, November 3rd, are going to vote or have voted for Joe Biden. Gasp, Right? Okay, but here's the other side. There are people who are well-meaning, people who love Jesus, love God, and love others, who will or have already voted for Donald Trump. Double gasp, 
right? And despite that, despite how divided our country seems to be, and despite sometimes when I look at the church, how we seem to be divided and we let those things creep in, uh, there seems to be a spirit of discord brewing, and I believe it comes down to this pursuit of peace or the lack thereof through godly wisdom, which James wants us to know about in chapter three of his letter. And so we're going to look at James chapter 3, specifically verses 13 through 18, but we're going to break it down into just this first part. But I want to, I want to just pray for us if you're watching this real quick, because I feel like this is such a, a loaded time, and this passage has so much packed into it. Now, I want to make sure that we're clear, concise, but also that we just acknowledge and stop for a moment and realize, like, we live in a time right now where we've maybe never been more divided as a country. My prayer is that we will not be divided as a church. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the, the many ways you've blessed us that we live in, uh, in one of the greatest places to live in the entire world. That we are afforded so many freedoms that, uh, that allow us to participate in a vote even for our leadership. There's so many places in the world that do not have that luxury. God, I pray for our students and our parents and our leaders as we as we look at James chapter 3 today, that we would be reminded of and, and prompted toward godly wisdom, wisdom that mirrors the law of love and wisdom that ultimately produces peace. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. All right. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now, Here's what I want you to know. First point we're looking at, the type of wisdom we have or you have is shown through your actions. It's shown through how you live out your life. It will prove what kind of wisdom you are espousing. So the first question that James asks here, he opens with kind of a rhetorical question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now be careful before you raise your hand real quick and go, well, me. I would be careful, caution you here. There's one way to prove it, according to, to James, that you are wise and understanding. It's the example of your way of life shown through the actions you do in humility, which is produced by wisdom. It's the example of your way of life. This is a Greek word called anastrophe, and, and it means way of life, not just life but way of life. It's the way we live. See, godly wisdom seeks the law of love as defined by Jesus. Jesus in the Gospels defines love or defines the greatest commandment this way by saying the new law is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. We're gonna work backwards. Normally you would look at a passage, you would work forward through it. You would go verses 14 to 16, but today we're gonna to work backwards and go 16 to 14. But the question we need to ask if, as we look at verse 16 is, do you see disorder and, and confusion in the way our world is operating? Of course, right? Worldly wisdom doesn't work. 
It does not work. It doesn't at least produce what we want it to produce. I mean, have you ever participated in a student body election? ASB, Associate Student Body, right? Uh, that could be for a uh, class president. It could be for the uh, school president, whatever it might be. But what does it ultimately come down to? It's a popularity contest. And we are right now watching what that produces on a natural, national level. The student body presidents have now grown up and they're still acting like it's a popularity contest. See, worldly wisdom stands in opposition to the law of love. James describes it as this, this worldly wisdom. I love that the, the English translation in the NIV actually puts quotations around wisdom. It's like, it's like James is actually saying this wisdom, which isn't real wisdom at all, is this. It's earthly, which means it's tainted. It's non-heavenly. It's less pure. It's unspiritual, which means it's possessing merely life. It's human wisdom, period. It's not influenced by the spirit of God. Then he goes so far, he's, he's taking it one step further. He says it's demonic. It's instigated by sinful and demonic forces in opposition to God. This is what worldly wisdom looks like. It comes from and produces selfish ambition or seeking self-glory. In other words, what it wants most is not what is best or what is most wise. It wants popularity, notoriety, fame, and influence. Those are the end goals. And it harbors bitterness toward the opposition rather than care and concern. Have you ever talked to somebody who you felt like even though you disagreed, they actually cared about your viewpoint? or they cared about you as a person, even though you disagree, that's not this type of wisdom. This type of wisdom is like our presidential debates where they hurl insults at each other and interrupt each other and treat each other terribly because they can't be compassionate toward each other because they only harbor worldly wisdom. See, this is not just an issue for those in leadership or, or political authority, actually, and we're gonna get into what it looks like for, for you and I. It's a trickle-down effect it's possible in church life. It's possible in, in ASM. It's possible in your small group. See, peace is actually found not in the absence of tension. And we live in a world where tension is inevitable, but it's defined by how we manage that tension, those disagreements by pursuing Jesus and his way of life. Which brings us to our, our last two verses in this passage, verses 17 and 18, which read this way. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. There are eight descriptors of what peace that comes from heaven or wisdom that comes from heaven, what it looks like. And I want us to know this, that followers of Jesus practice wisdom through peacemaking, See, when James is describing heavenly wisdom, he's describing a kind of wisdom, the kind of wisdom lived out by Jesus, our Savior and Lord. We're to follow Jesus' example, and James is simply reiterating Jesus' example for us. His descriptions of wisdom from heaven, godly wisdom, are as follows. And I want to unpack these just real quickly as we get to the end here. It's pure, first of all. First of all, it's pure. It's the absence of spiritual, ethical, and behavioral imperfections. It's uncontaminated. It hasn't been tainted. 
It's mirroring the law of love. It's pure because it's from God and it mirrors the law of love. It loves God, it loves others. It's pure, it's uncontaminated by the things that James spoke of earlier, envy and selfishness. It's also peace-loving. See, the prayer of Jesus for the church in John 17, verses 20 through 23, he prayed for our unity, that we would have peace amongst each other. Not that there would never be problems or tension, but that we would pursue peace. It's also considerate. What what does considerate mean? I want us to understand each of these words, these descriptors, not in the way that we might uh, bring our own definitions to them, but I want to understand what does James mean when we look at he wrote in Greek. So we're going to look at what do these words mean in in his time. Considerate, non-abusive in positions of power. It It means remaining calm and really listening. Have you ever sat with somebody who is considerate? Somebody who, though you disagreed, you felt that they really listened to you. They were considerate and they didn't abuse a position of power if they had one over you. It's also interesting that it is submissive. I think we have some weird definitions for this word. We really misunderstand it. I think submissive is usually seen as weak, but it's not weak. It's gentle and reasonable. It's not easily swayed, but it's willing to bend when it's confronted with the truth. See, it submits, but only to the right thing. It's also full of mercy, this wisdom. It's, and full of mercy means this. It's, it's able, you're, you're able to not give someone what they do deserve. When someone wrongs us, when someone is wrong, we want justice immediately. Side note here, when we think of being full of mercy, see, we hate having to give mercy because we want to give someone what they're due when they wrong us, but We always want it ourselves, don't we? We always want someone to be merciful with us, but see, we have to be full of mercy, willing to give it if we're going to be people who call ourselves wise. And it's full of good fruit. This is a staple of James's letter. Good fruit, good deeds, faith, and here wisdom is evidenced by good fruit, by somebody who is following Jesus, and it's evidenced in the way that they live their life. Jesus dying and and rising again from the dead, that being accepted, it didn't stop there for this person. It was something that continued and began to prove itself in their life. They're showing it by the way they live. You can find the full list, uh, not full, but the list that, that Paul gives in Galatians 5, 22 through 23 of what the fruit of the Spirit are. It's impartial. This is the idea of a sincerity of not being double minded but being able to see multiple viewpoints. Do you guys feel like you see a lot of impartiality in our world right now? No, no one wants to see the other viewpoint. They want the same things potentially, but we disagree on how to get there and we end up not pursuing peace and looking rather unwise in our pursuit of our own envy and selfishness. It's, It produces a harvest of righteousness is what he says here at the end. What is the harvest of righteousness? What is it actually getting, right? A harvest is something you you gather. It's something that you end up with. And what he ends up with when you you pursue these things, in, in the pursuit of wisdom, you do these things, it produces wisdom from heaven. It produces the kind of wisdom that Jesus lived out. See, 
Does this list though, when we look back at it, I mean, let's just read through those once more. It's pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial and sincere. Does this list even come close to anything that we are seeing in our world today, especially in the public arena? No, it doesn't. So we have to ask ourselves, are we more influenced by Jesus and how we pursue wisdom? Or are we mirroring what we simply see out in the world? What we're presented with on social media or news outlets, and we just begin to spew out the same unwise, sometimes hateful speech toward other image bearers of God. See, the question is, can we disagree and love each other? Can we pursue peace, even in tension? And James, I think, is saying, yes, you can. Can we have different views on how to solve a problem and see an image bearer of God in our opposition? See, I'll just give you a few. We're not even going to dive into them, but you're immediately going to think of the thing that you think, how you feel about this issue, and you're probably going to be able to quickly think of someone who thinks opposite of you. Masks and quarantine in a time of COVID. Can we disagree about implementation in the church and still love each other, pursuing peace in Jesus? Pick your favorite social justice issue, the one that most speaks to you, the one you're most passionate about. We all have things we're passionate about. Can we disagree on solutions and still love each other in the name of Jesus while pursuing peace and godly wisdom? Another example, maybe in your small group, can you disagree with someone's interpretation and application of God's word and still love them? I would say, I hope so. Is there a danger in false teaching? Yes, absolutely. James is actually combating false teaching when he's writing this letter. But we often just choose to go to battle over the wrong things, over the little issues instead of the big ones. We don't choose our battles wisely. There was a story I heard yesterday driving home uh, back to Lake Stevens from Linwood, and I was just listening to the radio, and I heard this, uh, this story come on the radio, and it was about the Utah governor's race. There's lots of different states right now that are having, it's called gubernatorial races, right, for governor, um, and we're not the only one, and Utah is in the middle of this very same thing. Who's going to be the next governor of Utah? And here's what I found interesting. These two guys running for governor, one Republican, one Democrat, they're not running smear ads against each other. They're not calling names. They're not saying, you won't believe what this guy did in his past. What they're doing is they're calling. They've actually done these, these ads together, both of them, where they have called for civility and they have promised to work together for the good of their state, no matter the outcome of the election. Wouldn't it be great if it was all like that? See, if these two men, one Democrat, one Republican, can work together peaceably, then I would submit that us, we as followers of Jesus, how much more should we be able to practice heavenly wisdom that produces peace in our spheres of influence? See, wisdom and peace are not the absence of tension, but whether or not we're wise has a lot to do with how can we be peaceful? Makers, Because again, our big idea is this, that followers of Jesus practice godly, peace-producing wisdom. 
as, we, as I close here, a few questions for you to consider as you talk to your family, maybe you're Zooming into your small group, whatever it might be. I want you to review the list of descriptions of wisdom from heaven in verse 17. Which of these comes most naturally to you? Which ones will require more effort? Uh, would you consider yourself after hearing this passage wise and understanding? Why? Why do you give the answer you give? And the last is how can you pursue godly wisdom? And what does it look like in your particular life? Guys, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.